You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome to America's Web Radio. This is Ron Bachman, and you're listening to Healthcare Insight. For our regular listeners over the last several months, you'll notice that we have not really been talking about healthcare. And the main reason is that this country is not ready to seriously get into free market solutions to healthcare. We have clearly been moving along a path towards more liberal politics, more social democratic politics, more socialism, more extreme socialism, uh, even to Marxists being involved with our current government and current administration. As a result, I've decided that we need to talk about the underlying issues facing this country before we can get back to a political structure, a political leadership that is willing to listen to free market solutions. And we've been talking about the history of Marxism and the impact of Marxism now for many months on this broadcast. And today what I want to talk about is an underlying issue uh, to most all of that that's feeding through our uh, conversations in this country. And it's a very delicate issue, but I want to talk about the history of slavery. There's a great book called Black Rednecks and White Liberals. And the reason I want to talk about this is that I want to be sure that any listeners in this audience and anybody that would pick up on this podcast that is ultimately posted for everyone to read and see, that we have a clear understanding of history that racism and slavery uh, is not unique to this country. Uh, It is a worldwide phenomenon. And we're going to hear from some experts on this. Uh, Thomas Sowell has written this book and it is filled with a lot of information that is really important for citizens of this country and, in fact, people from around the world to better understand this idea of slavery and racism. The first thing I want to talk about is what's the definition of racism? We all who are white have been called racism, deplorables, fascists. But I want to talk about this phrase that is so easily used by the left, racism. Well, what is the definition of racism? Because it's thrown around so readily that we need to understand a little bit more about what the real definition is uh, when you call somebody a racist or if you have been called a racist. And here's the definition that you'll find in Webster. It says it's a prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism directed against someone of a different race based on the belief that one's own race is superior. So if you think you're superior you to another race, you are then racist. And that works both ways. It doesn't say whites can be the only people who are racist. That if the people of a black or a brown or a red culture race believes that they are better than others, then they are, in fact, racist. And there's a lot of evils that come from the idea that if I am better than you or you're better than me, that I will will then oppress you, I will keep you down, I will prevent you from reaching um, the fulfillment of your life. And so 
I want to talk about this whole issue. It's a very sensitive issue in many ways, but it's one that deserves to be brought forward. So let's talk about the history of slavery to begin with that then might develop a better understanding of this whole issue and claim uh, that people are racist, that this country is racist, that all the institutions that have been developed in this country are racist. So let's go to this book by Thomas Sowell and hear a little bit more about the broader understanding of the history of slavery. Slavery was an evil of greater scope and magnitude than most people imagine, and, as a result, its place in history is radically different from the way it is usually portrayed. Mention slavery, and immediately the image that arises is that of Africans and their descendants, enslaved by Europeans and their descendants in the southern United States. Or at most, Africans enslaved by Europeans in the Western Hemisphere. Mention slavery, and immediately the image that arises is that of Africans and their descendants, enslaved by Europeans and their descendants in the southern United States. Or at most, Africans enslaved by Europeans in the Western Hemisphere. Well, you're right that most of us in the United States are centered around our own world, and certainly the new generation thinks everything started with them, and it's all about them and their world. But what you're saying is that slavery uh, has been with us since the beginning of time and is not something where just Europeans um, enslaved Africans, uh, either in the United States or in Europe, that there's a much broader perspective of understanding the evils of slavery. And relating to the discussion in the United States today, that the fact that we mentally and through our media and our history only think about slavery from our, our own uh, perspective in the, the evils of our own country, uh, there must be other reasons why people uh, have been brought up to believe that it's only the United States that has had this evil of slavery. What are your thoughts? Had slavery been limited to one race in one country during three centuries, its tragedies would not have been one-tenth the magnitude that they were in fact. Why this provincial view of a worldwide evil? Often, it is those who are most critical of a Eurocentric view of the world who are most Eurocentric when it comes to the evils and failings of the human race. Why would anyone wish to arbitrarily understate an evil that plagued mankind for thousands of years, unless it was not this evil itself that was the real concern, but rather the present-day uses of that historic evil? Okay, so I want to clearly get into the horrors, the evils of slavery in the United States, and obviously also around the world as we begin to understand it from the descriptions in this book. But I also want to understand uh, at the beginning here the use of calling everybody a racist, our institutions are racist, that this country has got to be dismantled and changed from the floor up. There's got to be another reason for this uh, so that we have a good understanding of today's rhetoric versus the history that I want to get into in short order. So give us a little bit more about that current day use and understanding of slavery and racism as a political uh, bludgeon on many of us in the United States. Clearly, the ability to score ideological points against American society or Western civilization 
or to induce guilt and thereby extract benefits from the white population today, are greatly enhanced by making enslavement appear to be a peculiarly American or a peculiarly white crime. So what I'm hearing you say in this book is that if people were truly concerned about slavery, they'd be looking at modern-day, current, ongoing slavery and not just talk about the evils of the United States for what we have historically um, uh, accepted in this country until it was changed and slaves were freed and we lived up to the best ideals of our founding fathers. But that slavery is going on today and nobody seems to be paying any attention to that, especially those who are degrading the United States effort at making everyone equal. Give me some examples of what you're talking about. This explanation is also consistent with the otherwise inexplicable contrast between the fiery rhetoric about past slavery in the United States, used by those who pass over in utter silence the traumas of slavery that still exist in Mauritania, the Sudan, and parts of Nigeria and Benin. Why so much more concern for dead people who are now beyond our help than for living human beings suffering the burdens and humiliations of slavery today? Why does a verbal picture of the abuses of slaves in centuries past arouse far more response than contemporary photographs of present-day slaves in Time magazine, the New York Times, or the National Geographic? Well, again, I don't want this broadcast to be an excuse of slavery or somehow uh, diminishing the evils of slavery, uh, but I want the audience to understand how widespread slavery has been over the generations and uh, millennia, uh, and that it wasn't just um, Europeans enslaving Africans. Uh, give us some examples of how it's uh, maybe uh, tilted the wrong direction towards Europeans when, in fact, the Islamic um, societies were as uh, strong as slave owners and continued slavery much longer than the Western world. Give us some examples of that. It takes no more research than a trip to almost any public library or college library to show the incredibly lopsided coverage of slavery in the United States or in the Western Hemisphere as compared to the meager writings on the even larger number of Africans enslaved in the Islamic countries of the Middle East and North Africa, not to mention the vast numbers of Europeans also enslaved in centuries past in the Islamic world and within Europe itself. At least a million Europeans were enslaved by North African pirates alone from 1500 to 1800. And some European slaves were still being sold on the auction block in Egypt, years after the Emancipation Proclamation freed blacks in the United States. Gosh, we never hear about the white population being enslaved in more recent times. I guess we think about, uh, you know, the Romans who were white enslaving other uh, whites um, and throwing them to the lions and having them kill each other as gladiators. We understand all that kind of a history, which seems so far and distant, and we don't think of slavery uh, in the same sense there as we do today. But the idea that whites more recently have been enslaved, um, tell us a little bit more about that history so that we can better understand um, as we even get to the idea of reparations in the United States where the white community is supposed to give the black community um, funds uh, to compensate for the historical slavery in the United States. But what you're telling me is there were white slaves 
even in recent times. During the Middle Ages, Slavs were so widely used as slaves in both Europe and the Islamic world that the very word slave derived from the word for Slav, not only in English, but also in other European languages, as well as in Arabic. So let's complete this section by talking about how slavery has been instituted along and among many cultures in this world. Give us some of those examples. Nor have Asians or Polynesians been exempt from either being enslaved or enslaving others. China, in centuries past, has been described as one of the largest and most comprehensive markets for the exchange of human beings in the world. Slavery was also common in India, where it has been estimated that there were more slaves than in the entire Western Hemisphere, and where the original thugs kidnapped children for the purpose of enslavement. In some of the cities of Southeast Asia, slaves were a majority of the population. Slavery was also an established institution in the Western Hemisphere, before Columbus's ships ever appeared on the horizon. The Ottoman Empire regularly enslaved a percentage of the young boys from the Balkans, converted them to Islam, and assigned them to various duties in the civil or military establishment. Well, what a great start. Uh, I really appreciate uh, the overall history and widely used institution of slavery throughout our time and in many cultures around the world. Um, let's take a quick commercial break, and I want to come back and continue with this history of slavery and ultimately how um, we got rid of it. How did it stop? Because it was such an important part of many cultures for many um, thousands of years. Hey, folks, this is Victor with the On Point with Victor show. Make sure you listen every Tuesday, 1 to 2, only right here on America's Web Radio, the On Point with Victor show. Remember, folks, I'm not angry. I'm just right. And you can find out why every Tuesday from 1 to 2, the On Point with Victor show, only right here on America's Web Radio. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. Whether cruising the Strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the second segment of America's Web Radio. And this is uh, Ron Bachman, and you're listening to Healthcare Insight. And as you know, we're not talking about healthcare. We're talking today about cultural issues. And in particular, we're talking about slavery, the history of slavery, how it came about how widespread it was. It wasn't just a phenomena of the United States and with Africa. It's much broader than that, and we're getting to hear that whole history so we have a better understanding of the evils 
of humanity and the institution of slavery around the world. Now, what I want to talk about in this segment, at least start off in this segment, is to have a discussion about racism and slavery. How did that really fit together? We think of it as almost concepts that obviously go together from the perspective of what's happened in the United States. But let's go back to the book that we've been talking about by Thomas Sowell, which is a history of racism. What does it say about racism and the history of slavery? The instrumental use of the history of slavery today also underlies the claim that slavery grew out of racism. For most of its long history, which includes most of the history of the human race, Slavery was largely not the enslavement of racially different people, for the simple reason that only in recent centuries has either the technology or the wealth existed to go to another continent to get slaves and transport them en masse across an ocean. People were enslaved because they were vulnerable, not because of how they looked. The peoples of the Balkans were enslaved by fellow Europeans, as well as by the peoples of the Middle East, for at least six centuries before the first African was brought to the Western Hemisphere. So what you're saying is that slavery was not based upon one race dominating another race or thinking that they are superior so that we will enslave this other race, whites versus blacks, if you will, uh, to... Uh, enslave them because of their race, it was more historically the people who were vulnerable, where one military would run over a country and enslave that population, and it really wasn't about race, it was just about enslaving those who were vulnerable. Is that the correct interpretation that I'm hearing from the book? Before the modern era, by and large, Europeans enslaved other Europeans, Asians enslaved other Asians, Africans enslaved other Africans, and the indigenous peoples of the Western Hemisphere enslaved other indigenous peoples of the Western Hemisphere. Slavery was not based on race, much less on theories about race. Only relatively late in history did enslavement across racial lines occur on such a scale as to promote an ideology of racism that outlasted the institution of slavery itself. Wherever a separate people were enslaved, they were disdained or despised, whether they were different by country, religion, caste, race, or tribe. So the historical fact that many of us kind of overlook or never were taught or was never really brought forward is that many white populations from Europe were enslaved by others in Africa and is the, in the Muslim world. Is that correct? The Europeans who were enslaved in North Africa were despised and abused because they were Christians in a Muslim region of the world, where they were called Christian dogs. Let me jump in here then. Try to tie together how did slavery and racism sort of intertwine itself? At what point did we connect racism and slavery Race became the most visible difference between slaves and slave owners in the Western Hemisphere. As distinguished historian Daniel J. Borston put it, Now, for the first time in Western history, the status of slave coincided with a difference of race. To make racism the driving force behind slavery is to make a historically recent factor the cause of an institution which originated thousands of years earlier. 
This enshrinement of racism as an overarching causal factor accords far more with current instrumental agendas than with history. Well, we do know that attitudes and perceptions sometimes are created by the media and the news outlets, and the way we see or perceive ourselves can be so different from the reality of history. Uh, Can you make a few comments about how we sort of have that mentality of race and slavery kind of commingling? The form in which the story of slavery has reached most people today has been along the lines of the best-selling book and widely watched television miniseries, Roots, by Alex Haley. Challenged on the historical accuracy of Roots, Haley said, I tried to give my people a myth to live by. This instrumental use of history, or purported history, is open to the same objections as other instrumental myth-making. First is the objection to falsification itself, that the damage which this does to the general level of understanding and trust in a society is incalculable and can easily outweigh, in its long-run consequences especially, any immediate good that might be expected from an expedient taking of liberties with the truth. Second, even the short-run benefits are by no means clear. Has a sense of special grievance helped advance any people? Or has what happened in centuries past been a distraction and an incitement to counterproductive strife? Well, I kind of get what you're saying, that there can be negative consequences long-term for uh, dramatizing uh, a particular event or putting that in our mindset and I don't want to minimize the whole issue here. Uh, We're trying to discuss something serious with the uh, history of racism and the history of slavery. Um, But, you know, Jaws had a similar uh, impact almost as a parallel of saying, okay, that really rarely happens. But the movie Jaws has chased a lot of people away from going into the ocean and enjoying uh, the natural uh, waters around us, fearful that they're going to get eaten by a great white shark. So things like this can have an, have a, a very negative impact, as you're saying, if the media distorts it for uh, short-term uh, messaging. So we have this worldwide phenomena of slavery. It's not just in the United States. It's not just in recent times. It's been going on since the existence of man dominating other tribes, other cultures that are weaker, and more recently it uh, got uh, overlapped with race because the Western culture in our time, our our United States history, uh, was getting slaves out of Africa um, because that was a weak spot at that point that did not have the uh, military to fight it off, and in fact, Africans were helping to uh, capture and transport slaves for monetary reasons to the United States and also to the Islamic world on the uh, eastern side of Africa or on the western side of Africa. They're going to America. So can you talk a little bit more about this phenomena that we just don't get the overall history and the impact that was going on around the entire world, that there's no discussion about that. That that history just doesn't seem to be part of our um, education, of our awareness. Uh, how do you see all this having developed? 
no institution of comparable age and worldwide scope has ever disappeared over almost the entire planet, leaving so little awareness of how and why it vanished or so little interest in that question. Yet remarkably little is written about one of the most momentous moral dramas in the history of the human species, the bitter worldwide struggle which lasted for more than a century to destroy the elaborate systems and institutions for the ownership and sale of human beings. So the American experience with slavery, as horrible as it was and continues to have that negative impact on even today's world, today's politics, today's living standards of um, the uh, black uh, community, it's really just a part of an overall picture. And it is a fascinating story to think about how did something that was so ingrained around the world, so ingrained in the human kind and human nature to um, overpower people and enslave them, how did that ever come to an end? While there is a sizable literature on the American Civil War for all its staggering carnage and historic legacy within the United States, in an international perspective, it is only a small and highly atypical part of the story of the worldwide crusade against slavery. No other nation ended slavery in the same way as the United States did, and few ended it after so short a struggle, as history is measured. So how and why slavery ended is the real question, since the United States was a significant part of that history of slavery for those of us who are Americans, but worldwide it was a small part. So how and why did slavery ultimately end? How and why did slavery end in most of the world? There were two major processes. Over the centuries, as more and more territories around the world consolidated into nation-states with their own armies and navies, raiding those territories to capture and enslave the people who lived within them became more hazardous in itself and also risked military retaliation against the countries from which the raiders came. Thus, more and more peoples became off-limits to slave raiders over time. Put differently, the areas which remained subject to slave raiding over the centuries were primarily those where the people lived in smaller or weaker societies. Such societies continued to exist where it was difficult, for geographic or other reasons, to consolidate large areas under one government. This was true of the Balkans, the backwaters of Asia, and much of sub-Saharan Africa. By the early modern era, sub-Saharan Africa, with its numerous and severe geographic handicaps, was one of the last remaining areas from which vast numbers of people could be enslaved. So you're saying the history of slavery from Africa is not racially motivated, but it was one of the last areas that was not protected by uh, development of militaries and strong uh, countries that could prevent its people from being enslaved. Is that right? Far from being targeted by Europeans for racial reasons, as some have claimed, Africa was resorted to as a source of large supplies of slaves only after centuries of Europeans enslaving other Europeans had been brought to an end by the consolidation of nations and empires on the European continent. Were there other social or religious reasons for this shift um, from uh, enslaving other Europeans to looking towards weaker areas around the globe like Africa? 
What was the um, what was the church doing during, during this period of time? And by the Catholic Church's pressures against enslaving fellow Christians, which was by no means the same as the Church's saying that slavery, as such, was wrong. Similar consolidations of political units in parts of Asia led to a decline of slavery in those realms. While Africa became the main source of new slaves in later centuries, existing slaves continued to include peoples of many races living in many places around the world. Ending the slavery of all these peoples was a very difficult process and one requiring deliberate and sustained action for many generations. Well, I hope our audience is getting a good education as I am just listening to all this on the history of slavery and the uh, idea of racism and slavery being connected here in the United States where it was not that way through most of the world. Let's take another quick break for commercial and we'll be right back. Hi, this is Rocky Blair, and I hope you'll make plans to join us on January 28th for Warriors for Hope. I'm thrilled to be a part of this virtual fundraiser for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital and Warriors to Citizen. These organizations do so much to support veterans, first responders, and families who have been touched by pediatric cancer. I'd also like to thank David Moxley and his show, David's Pick, here on America's Web Radio for supporting Warriors for Hope. And I know you'll want to join in and support this event as well on January 28th. So visit warriorsforhope.events. That's warriors and the number four, hope.events. You can make a gift and reserve your seat for this virtual benefit. Again, that's warriors and the number four, hope.events. Thanks for your support, and we'll see you at noon on January 28th. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, Just talking to you about antique car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the third segment of Healthcare Insight. You're on America's Web Radio. We're talking about the history of slavery and the intertwining of racism and slavery and how, in most cases over history, it was the weaker populations that were dominated and enslaved by the stronger cultures and populations and uh, military-focused empires. It was only more in recent times that um, the slavery were occurring in Africa because at that point many other parts of the world had enough strong military and uh, governments, cultures that were able to stop slavery uh, in those areas. And so weaker populations tended to be where um, humanity went to get slaves, which was ingrained. So now we want to talk about how did it actually stop? Because the biggest slave owners and promoters around the world in the uh, 19th century, the 18th and 19th century, were the Britons. Uh, the old phrase, Britannia ruled the seas because they did control Uh, much of the world with their naval power and authority. Well, strangely enough, I guess Britain was the uh, instigator to get rid of slavery and that whole ideology of enslaving other people. So let's go back to the book and find out more about 
how slavery around the world uh, came to an end. Let's get at the beginnings of how slavery was uh, being discussed among the elites, among the governmental authorities that had some power to actually do something about it and to stop this horrendous evil of slavery that had existed since the beginning of man. The anti-slavery ideology behind this process began to develop in 18th century Britain, at a time when the British Empire led the world in slave trading, and when the economy of most of its overseas colonies in the Western Hemisphere depended on slaves. While slavery was common to all civilizations, as well as to peoples considered uncivilized, only one civilization developed a moral revulsion against it, very late in its history, Western civilization. We now accept the horrors of slavery, the evils of slavery, in our current time, where we believe that all men are created equal, that we are all in the image of God. So is there any evidence throughout the history of mankind that there were challenges to this idea of enslaving another human being? Uh, Would that be true of any culture Um, Eastern culture, Western culture, Christian, non-Christian. What's your understanding of that history of accepting and not rejecting the institution of slavery? There is no evidence that slavery came under serious attack in any part of the world before the 18th century. That is when it first came under attack in Europe themselves the leading slave traders of the 18th century, Europeans nevertheless became, in the 19th century, the destroyers of slavery around the world, not just in European societies or European offshoot societies overseas, but in non-European societies as well, over the bitter opposition of Africans, Arabs, Asians, and others. Moreover, within Western civilization, the principal impetus for the abolition of slavery came first from very conservative religious activists, people who would today be called the religious right. Clearly, this story is not politically correct in today's terms. Hence, it is ignored, as if it never happened. So getting rid of and dismantling this whole institution of slavery worldwide had to be a major conflict that Again, we've never really learned about in detail. There's not been a lot of study. It maybe doesn't fit into the um, uh, the drama that's tried to be created in the United States as being the perpetrator of slavery and the evil institutions we've created uh, that that perpetuate slavery. What about the rest of the world? How did all this come about, and what were some of the significant issues to make the changes? that required to end the institution of slavery. Slavery did not die out quietly of its own accord. It went down fighting to the bitter end, and it lost only because Europeans had gunpowder weapons first. The advance of European imperialism around the world marked the retreat of the slave trade, and then of slavery itself. The British stamped out slavery, not only throughout the British Empire, which included one-fourth of the world, whether measured in land or people, but also by its pressures and its actions against other nations. Can you give some specific historical examples of how the British Empire um, stopped, impeded, and changed the mentality of others around the world to get rid of the slave trade? What did they specifically do? 
For example, the British Navy entered Brazilian waters in 1849 and destroyed Brazilian ships that had been used in the slave trade. The British government pressured the Ottoman Empire into banning the African slave trade, and later threatened to start boarding Ottoman ships in the Mediterranean if that empire did not do a better job of policing the ban. So the British had the power worldwide, and they had decided that slavery was wrong in the 18th century and started to move against it worldwide. What other countries came in and made a big difference? Because we're now talking about the same time as the American uh, Civil War, and after that, um, how did the Americans and other countries kind of um, supplement what the British were doing worldwide? Still later, Americans stamped out slavery in the Philippines. The Dutch stamped it out in Indonesia. The Russians in Central Asia. The French in their West African and Caribbean colonies. Germans in their East Africa colonies often hanged slave traders on the spot when they caught them in the act. No non-Western nation or civilization shared this animosity towards slavery that began to develop in the Western world in the late 18th century, reached its peak in the 19th century, and continued to fuel the anti-slavery efforts that were still necessary in much of Africa and the Middle East on into the first half of the 20th century. Your history shows the revulsion of the Western world started by Great Britain and then other countries joining in. What about the Eastern world and the Ottoman Empire and the Islamic world and their attitudes towards slavery? And what were they able to do? Were they able to get on board with this, or were they resisting and fighting it? This worldwide struggle went on for more than a century because the non-Western world in general resisted and evaded all efforts to get them to root out this institution that was an integral part of their economies and societies. When the British ambassador to the Ottoman Empire first raised the issue of abolishing slavery with the Sultan in 1840, he reported this response. I have been heard with extreme astonishment, accompanied with a smile at a proposition for destroying an institution closely interwoven with the frame of society in this country, and intimately connected with the law and with the habits and even the religion of all classes, from the sultan himself on down to the lowest peasant. You know, I witnessed this history not too long ago. A couple of years ago, I was actually... Um, at an African safari, and we finished up that safari in Zanzibar, and they had a memorial there to the slave trading. So it was on that eastern side of Africa that the Islamic world was moving slaves into that part of, of the world, and it uh, continued on after the um, western African slave trading ended uh, where they were mainly coming to the United States from the western side. But the eastern side was being um, enslaved uh, by the Islamic culture. Uh, is that the correct interpretation of the history? When British Foreign Secretary Palmerston sought in 1841, through his representative council, Atkins Hamilton, to get the ruler of Zanzibar to end the flourishing slave trade there, this was the response. When Palmerston continued to press for an end to the slave trade, Said pleaded that if he acceded to British demands, his subjects would withdraw their loyalty from him and support another claimant to the throne. And was he not looked up to by all Arabs generally as the person who should protect and guarantee for them their dearest interests, the right to carry on the slave trade? 
He reminded Hamerton that Arabs were not like the English and other European people, who were always reading and writing and were unable to understand the anti-slavery viewpoint. The British obsession with it was quite inexplicable to them. In short, what was so patently wrong about slavery, in the eyes of Western civilization of the past two centuries, was almost incomprehensible to many non-Westerners. Eventually, some westernized elites or intellectuals in non-Western societies also became embarrassed about slavery, but these societies developed no such fervent anti-slavery movements as those which propelled successive European and European offshoot societies to ban this practice for themselves and to stamp it out, among others. So in the Western world, there was this revulsion of the slave trade, but it had not ended yet. In the United States, there were many who were against it, obviously. We had a civil war, which over 600,000 people died uh, trying to defeat the idea of slavery in the United States. Uh, how did this work out in the Eastern world as well? How did they accept this idea that Britain was pushing across the world in various ways with their military to try to end the institution of slavery? Perhaps, at no other period of history, was the contrast between the Western and the non-Western world greater. Here was the scene when the Ottoman Empire announced the end of the slave trade. In 1855, when the Sultan's Furman was read out in Mecca and Jeddah, it caused a revolution. Turkish officials, including the Qadi, who read the Furman, were murdered, the garrison shut, and Mecca was in a state of revolt until the port repealed the obnoxious order. But ultimately, the slave trade as an institution was abolished by the British in the Ottoman Empire and in the Islamic world. But did that really end it because something just doesn't happen and uh, turn off a faucet just because the British Empire said so when it was so ingrained in their culture and even in their religion and in their history? Although the slave trade was formally abolished in the Ottoman Empire, under pressure from the British government, slavery itself continued. As of 1891, the imperial palace purchased 11 slave girls for its harem, as others in the Ottoman Empire purchased women as concubines, typically white women from a region near the Caucasus and the Black Sea, even though every nation in the Western world had by then outlawed slavery. Not only the Turks accepted such slavery, so did the Circassians. Mothers often groomed their daughters for this role and sold them into what was considered to be a desirable situation, at least by comparison with what was available in Circassia. British Foreign Secretary Palmerston said, The only complaint we have ever heard from the Circassians has been against our attempts to stop the traffic. Wow. Very few have ever heard these stories, this history. It's not taught in our schools. I doubt that much of it is ever taught in our colleges. So this is a great insight to the history of slavery around the world, and not just with the um, uh, mono-focus on slavery in the United States. It's not to excuse, for any listeners out there, it's not to excuse the evils of slavery in the United States, but to gain a better perspective of not only how it was ingrained in humankind and our human culture, but the real interesting question is, how did it end? So that we can also say, how do we continue to advance ourselves and to minimize it, 
even more going into the future? How do we eliminate this idea of racism where one culture thinks they are better than another culture, which is what slavery has sort of morphed into? Let's take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. Hey folks, this is Victor with the On Point with Victor show. Make sure you listen every Tuesday, 1 to 2, only right here on America's Web Radio, the On Point with Victor show. Remember folks, I'm not angry, I'm just right. And you can find out why every Tuesday from 1 to 2, the On Point with Victor show, only right here on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the final segment of Healthcare Insight. We're, we're not talking about healthcare. We're talking about the history of slavery and the interaction of racism in terms of um, slavery in the United States, where it came from, where it was worldwide, with an excellent book by Thomas Sowell, talking about the history of racism. So let's go back to the American experience with racism and the ideas and perceptions and the information that many Americans have about America being the sole source of evil, the um, original sin, if you will, of slavery being unique to the United States. What does the book say about the Africans' involvement with slavery? Africans were by no means the innocents portrayed in Roots baffled as to why white men were coming in and taking their people away in chains. On the contrary, the region of West Africa from which Kunta Kinte supposedly came was one of the great slave-trading regions of the continent, before, during, and after the white man arrived. It was Africans who enslaved their fellow Africans, selling some of these slaves to Europeans or to Arabs, and keeping others for themselves. Even at the peak of the Atlantic slave trade, Africans retained more slaves for themselves than they sent to the Western Hemisphere. This pattern was not confined to West Africa, from which most slaves were sent to the Western Hemisphere. In East Africa, the Maasai were feared slave raiders, and other African tribes, either alone or in conjunction with Arabs, enslaved their more vulnerable neighbors. So give us some modern-day examples, modern-day within the last a uh, hundred or so years, and I was after the Emancipation Proclamation, af- after the uh, 1860s when uh, we changed the United States, did we improve racial relationships? No, but we did free um, the um, African-American community. What was happening after that uh, in Africa so that Slavery from Western Africa to the United States or to Europe didn't really end when we ended slavery in the southern part of the United States, did it? Even in the early 20th century, Abyssinians were still raiding other Africans and carrying off slaves. 
It was 1922 before the British had gained sufficient control in Tanganyika to stamp out slavery there. Arabs were the leading slave raiders in East Africa, ranging over an area larger than all of Europe. The total number of slaves exported from East Africa during the 19th century has been estimated to be at least 2 million. Let me jump in on another historical point, that is the colonization of Africa by Europeans. Now, my understanding in general is that it was really done after much of the slave trade was completed, but Europeans still had an interest in colonizing Africa. How did that come about at a later stage? After quinine and other medical measures enabled Europeans to survive where there were tropical diseases, was it possible for them to invade Africa in force and establish empires there? But by then, the Atlantic slave trade had already been ended. During the era of that trade, Africa was largely ruled by Africans, who established the conditions under which slave sales took place. The crew of a slave ship was in no position to defy African rulers and their armies by going out across the land and capturing people willy-nilly. The stronger African peoples captured and enslaved the weaker peoples. The same pattern found over the centuries in Europe, Asia, the Western Hemisphere, and Polynesia. So the real history of African slave trading wasn't that Europe colonized Africa and then took the slaves and sent them to America. In fact, the colonization of Africa occurred after the slave trade from Western Africa really had been halted and reversed by the changing cultures across the Western world. Uh, But what happened before that to indicate, give us some examples of how the tribes of Africa before European colonization were promoting and engaged in slavery of their own. In Uganda, the Baganda made life miserable for their neighbors, and the Nioro and Hima of Anko enslaved Toro women and children. The Tutsi dominated the Hutu in Rwanda, the Maasai lorded it over the Kikuyu and Kamba, and the latter, in turn, held the Indorobo in a kind of serfdom. You know, the fact that Africans were enslaving other Africans and were capturing other Africans to transport doesn't really excuse uh, the Western culture from accepting uh, those slaves. We understand that, you know, economics played a part in it, culture, there wasn't a lot of pushback against the whole issue of slavery over thousands of years. But once it became recognized that this was just an evil that should never have been put up with, how did this bypass the the horrors? How did the horrors bypass the consciousness of Western and even Eastern populations? Was it that they just you know, weren't aware of the horrors of the capturing of people, that people were willing to commit suicide, that they were breaking up families. Um, How did this occur when good people just ignore what's going on or don't know or feign ignorance of it? 
It was precisely the fact that Europeans, except for the Portuguese, seldom participated in the raids that captured and enslaved Africans that enabled most people in Europe and the Americas to remain oblivious to the traumatic experience that this was, with some Africans committing suicide to avoid capture and wives being whipped as they tried to cling to their husbands or children. Historian David Brian Davis pointed out that Europeans had little contact with the actual process of enslavement, and that as late as 1721, the Royal African Company asked its agents to investigate the modes of enslavement in the interior. Europeans typically saw only the end results, enslaved people being offered for sale on the coast. It was much the same story in the Ottoman Empire, where those who bought slaves had no idea what these slaves had been through before. Okay, so let's go back again to the ending of slavery in the United States and the beginning of the ending of slavery around the world as established by the British Empire saying that slavery is no longer acceptable. Tell us about, again, what the United States and was it unique in the world and how it ended slavery? Slavery was destroyed within the United States at staggering costs in blood and treasure, but the struggle was over within a few ghastly years of warfare. Nevertheless, the Civil War was the bloodiest war ever fought in the Western Hemisphere, and more Americans were killed in that war than in any other war in the country's history. But this was a highly atypical, indeed unique, way to end slavery. In most of the rest of the world, unremitting efforts to destroy the institution of slavery went on for more than a century, on a thousand shifting fronts, and in the face of determined and ingenious efforts to continue the trade in human beings. Around the rest of the world, how did the British Empire end slavery? What were some of the unique approaches that they took besides military force in order to end slavery and to get people who were enslaved free? Within the British Empire, the abolition of slavery was accompanied by the payment of compensation to slave owners for what was legally the confiscation of their property. This cost the British government 20 million pounds, a huge sum in the 19th century, about 5% of the nation's annual output. A similar plan to have the federal government of the United States buy up the slaves and then set them free was proposed in Congress, but was never implemented. The costs of emancipating the millions of slaves in the United States would have been more than half the annual national output, but still less than the economic costs of the Civil War, quite aside from the cost in blood and lives and a legacy of lasting bitterness in the South, growing out of its defeat and the widespread destruction it suffered during that conflict. You know, most of us don't know much about our American history, but we certainly don't know much about the British history Give us a little bit of an overview of how Britain was able to continuously work to eliminate slavery around the world and what they actively did in other ways. While the British could simply abolish slavery in their Western Hemisphere colonies, they faced a more daunting and longer-lasting task of patrolling the Atlantic off the coast of Africa in order to prevent slave ships of various nationalities from continuing to supply slaves illegally. Even during the Napoleonic Wars, Britain continued to keep some of its warships on patrol off West Africa. Moreover, such patrols likewise tried to interdict the shipments of slaves from East Africa through the Indian Ocean, the Red Sea, and the Persian Gulf. 
it would be hard to think of any other crusade pursued so relentlessly for so long by any nation at such mounting costs without any economic or other tangible benefit to itself. The dogged persistence of the British eventually reduced the shipment of slaves across the Atlantic and across the waters of the Islamic world. Although by 1860 the Atlantic slave trade had been effectively stopped, the slave trade from East Africa across the Indian Ocean, the Red Sea, and the Persian Gulf took longer to be reduced significantly. Off the east coast of Africa, smaller Arab vessels called dhows hugged the coastlines in waters too shallow for the British warships to enter. When the threat of being boarded seemed imminent, the Arabs would throw slaves overboard to drown rather than have them be found on board, which could lead to British seizure of the vessel and punishment of those who manned it. Well, let's hear some final thoughts on this international issue, this historical issue of slavery. When slavery is viewed in worldwide perspective, still more common beliefs crumble when confronted with the facts of history. The truth should need no apology, but the truth about the history of slavery is urgently needed for reasons that go beyond historical accuracy. Both the present and the future are at stake when we look at the past. What lessons we draw from that past depend on whether it is viewed narrowly or against the broader background of world history. From a narrow perspective, the lesson that some draw from the history of slavery, automatically conceived of as the enslavement of blacks by whites, is that white people were, or are, uniquely evil. Against the broader background of world history, however, a very different lesson might be that no people of any color can be trusted with unbridled power over any other people. Summarize for our audience, then, how slavery actually ended from the historical perspective. It was the rise of modern free societies and their accompanying ideologies in the West, which made slavery stand out in stark contrast. And it was the emergence of a general questioning of institutions and beliefs in the 18th century, also in the West, that brought slavery into question. Once that happened, slavery could not stand up under moral scrutiny. Outside the West, it did not have to at least not until after the spread of Western ideas of individual freedom belatedly took hold in some other societies. That such an institution could last so long unchallenged on every inhabited continent is a chilling example of what can happen. Well, you hit the nail on the head as to what the real important message here is of this last hour. People who think that white people are just evil, and we see that every day by politicians and activists across this country that they hate whites, that whites are just evil and have been uh, the oppressors over the black population, uh, is just not the historical truth perspective that it is people of power who have ruled over people of lesser power, but it is the Western culture of individualism and freedom that ultimately changed the culture and, and eliminated thousands of years of slavery that existed far before the United States. Come back next week, and we're going to talk some more about these social issues. I hope you enjoyed today, and we will see you next week. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.